This is the Dorkside News Network, and this just in. Hey guys, what's up? We're uh, back with the Dorkside News Network, and um, I think we have a bigger geek here than all of us combined. I think I think he's winning. Definitely a cooler one. Uh, definitely a much cooler one. Um, we're here with uh, Chandler Rice. He uh, he's into comics, I think, a little bit. I think you could probably say that. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, he's, he's started a few things. He owns a few businesses. Um, he's done a lot. He, uh, he knows uh, one of our, our famous icons, Stanley. Yeah. So we might hear some stories about that tonight, too. Um, but yeah, I just I wanted to get right into it. Yeah. Um, so I think we, what we all want to know, too, right, starting off is, do you have any good stories from when you met Stanley? Do How I, did you come to do meet Stanley? Do I have any good stories <laughs> to to quote what I normally say on my show is where do I start? <laughs> where do I begin? <laughs> the again, this is something that we you know maybe talk about at, at, when we have more time. Yes, sure, yeah, sure. But uh, being that that my wife and I we started working with Stan going back to two thousand and eight, and we basically worked with them all the way up to. It was about March of 2014, and spent a lot of time with him. Stan Stan was just a phenomenal individual. He, first off, hearing him talk about the creative process, and and I have some examples that that just will make you grin and laugh when you hear things that he did. First off, Stan was extremely animated um, in his in his process of uh, coming up with ideas mm-hmm. for for uh, for. Uh, books and stories and stuff and this this is information that we got from other creators who obviously interacted with Stan I mean you know uh, people like John Romita Sr. and Herb Trimpey and Lynn Ween and you know the list goes on uh, Stan would many times when he would be in his office in New York and they'd be plotting out the new st- the newest book uh, Stan would basically have an idea of what he wants for the plot. And this is where you had a true difference between the Marvel way of doing comics mm-hmm. and the DC way of doing comics. Basically, the Marvel way of doing comics was create a plot, hand it off to the artist, and let the artist do what they do best, and that's telling the story. Yeah. You know, you have some phenomenal, phenomenal to- storytellers that have worked for Marvel Comics. Uh, you, you know, you, whether you're talking about Jack Kirby, you're talking about John Romita. I mean, you know, just you, the list goes on. So what would happen is they would go over the plot for this, for the story. And then the artist would then at that point figure out and start putting together the story based on what they're going to put on paper. You know, as far as the art that's yeah. moving the story along. Sounds but, uh, kind of similar to like a writing room for episodes and tv and stuff like that but for a comic book i mean well yeah i mean and some of the things i heard about stan is stan would be jumping on furniture all the time (laughs) he would jump on the couch he'd get down in spider-man in a spider-man crouch and and he would go through the animation of you know what he what he envisions in his head for what was going to happen and like i said through this interaction between Stan and the right uh the Stan and, and the uh and the artists and the writers for that matter uh if Stan wasn't writing the book um uh, is this is what they would use in order to to move the story along and and for them to actually create what ended up being on the pages so going back to that Stan was was 
always a very animated individual. But some of some of the cute stories for me um, is my wife was just telling this the other day, and we were we were at a show. It was New York Comic Con 2013, and um, Stan's business partner from Power Entertainment. We were supposed to have Stan sign in in the booth, and we had like six, seven, eight hundred books for Stan to sign at that time. And um, the business partner came up and said, sorry, we have to take Stan off to a media interview. He's not going to be able to do the signing. We're kind of going, oh, crap, how are we going to get this thing signed? Just so happened that Stan was doing the show next weekend in Dallas, Texas. So, okay, we pack everything up, ship it <laughs> off to Dallas. And the next weekend, we're in we're in the green room with Stan in, in Dallas, Texas. And you we'd never have the books all in front of Stan because that could get overwhelmed yeah, sure. you see these giant stacks of books in front of you. So they'd always be behind him. And so... Um, there was a young lady at work for us. Her name was Tanya, Tanya Lajonye, who's from Lafayette, Louisiana, and she is as Southern as it gets. <laughs> you know, it's it's you listen to her talk, and it's you know you're 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 talking to someone from the South. Yep. Uh, but you had Tanya who would feed the books to Stan, and then I was standing off to Stan's right, and I was pulling the books as he was signing them, and then I was handing them to my wife, who was basically putting them on the drying table so they would dry out. And so he's sitting there signing and signing and signing. And he's at one point, he's going, my God, these things, how many do we have? <laughs> and it's like, well, Stan, no, don't look, you know. And, <laughs> and you know, at one point he goes, you know, I, 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 you know I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the day when, when I'm finished signing. And my wife sat there and looked at Stan and said, Stan, let me ask you a question. Think about this. I walk up to you and I say, Stan, here is the very last book that you will ever sign. What do you what do you think of that? He looks at it and he kind of thinks. He says, you know what? Keep them coming. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, that's my wife's favorite story of him. In that same signing was one of my favorite stories. And that was he had gone through, he'd signed several hundreds of books. And he sits there. And at one point he says, okay, stop. Hold on, hold on, hold on. He says, I need a moment. So we stop. He sits back in his chair. He crosses his arms in front of his chest. He tucks his chin into his chest and closes his eyes. Not a single movement. I'm looking at him. Tanya's looking at him. My wife is looking at him from across the table. And at one point, I kind of look at my wife. I go, and... Not that I was said anything, but as I jokingly say, this is how I was, you know, it was like mental communication. <laughs> Give me your compact. I need to make sure I put it under his nose, make sure he's still breathing. <laughs> you know, it's like, holy Toledo. Because he sat there absolutely motionless for what was probably, it almost seemed like it turned into an eternity. It ended up being yeah. five minutes. But as he sat there and then suddenly it's... All right, let's go. And he literally came out, clapped his hands, and grabs pin and says, "Let's go." And I sat there and I just inside, I'm laughing because I'm going, "That was his energizer bunny yeah. break or whatever you want to call it." It was just his moment of just recharging himself for what was the rest of the books that had to be signed. And that's the way Stan was. He, the man, had just unbelievable energy. At least in the public eye. Yeah. Behind the scenes, you could tell that he was dead dog tired. He was looking forward to his naps. Yeah. You know, but 
when you saw when you saw him in front of fans, you saw the Stan Lee that he wanted you to see, mm-hmm. and that was the man, the image that you know the just the the person that everyone couldn't wait to meet, everyone that had he had that that unbelievable amount of energy, and just his engagement with fans was always so funny because. He would sit there and he could sign a book. And what would happen is he'd start signing his name. And this would happen periodically. Believe me, I saw things that he did. I've seen Stan sneeze on books. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of stuff. But, you know, he started to sign a book at one point And something happened that distracted him and caught his attention. He looked away. And then he sat there, looked back down at the book and proceeded to sense, then sign it again in a totally separate spot. Yeah. And so he kind of realized what he did. And he says, well, now you got a real collectible. <laughs> and the fan would sit there and the fan would just eat it up. The yeah. fan would just eat it up and, and walk away happy because they just met, they just met Stan. I think it's, it's long been said by many, many people that of all the characters Stan Lee created, Stan Lee was the greatest character he ever created. Oh, absolutely. He was, he was what everybody was looking forward to. Conventions, movies, signings, everything. That's what that's what people went for. I mean, the comics were secondary, I think, to a lot of if if Stan was there, that's what they're going for. They're mm-hmm. hoping to see him, they're hoping to shake his hand, meet yeah, him. Yeah, and you know, with Stan, it was the the thing was it was all about how he touched each and every one of us in a different mm-hmm. way. Again, we talked about the Marvel way of doing stories dc was pretty much let's have the writers write a script and then they'll hand the script to the artist and then the artist will basically break down the script and and that's it um but stan just had this way of being able to touch people and part of it was and this was a story that was told to me by john ramita john would be driving home with stan and steve ditko each day because they would, you know, they they drive from the Marvel office and they'd go to to uh, Stan lived in Long Island, John lived in Long Island, and Steve lived on on Manhattan. And so John was sitting in the back seat, and you'd have Steve and and uh, and Stan in the front seat. Stan would be driving, Steve would be riding shotgun, and they'd be sitting there going back and forth. Sometimes what seemed like fighting, but basically <laughs> what they're doing is they're talking about the next plot. They're talking about the next Spider-Man book. Steve was very black and white. There was no gray area with Steve. A, a bad guy is a bad guy. It makes no difference why. Mm-hmm. He was simply a bad guy. Whereas Stan was all about the gray area. Stan was all about what happened to that bad guy to turn him bad. You know, And that's what made Stan so unique in his storytelling is his way of being able to do that how he humanized the superheroes that we had. I mean, you look at the superheroes that we had that came out of the 40s. You had Captain America. You had, uh, you had Human Torch. You had, you know, uh, all these different characters that were created that were larger-than-life characters. But at the same time, they were, they were characters in themselves in the sense that they were, they were people or characters that people would look up to. Yeah. But they'd look up to him simply because Captain America was that. He was all American, you know. Um, but when you got into Stan, and Stan would sit there and start coming up with what made 
that person special. When he created the Fantastic Four, he created a family. It was interesting because the Fantastic Four actually came about as a result of DC coming out with the Justice League. Or my, actually, I think it was the Justice Society at that point. Okay. But, um, you know, what it was was Stan's editor or the owner of Timely Comics. Yeah. Um, basically said to Stan, Stan, you know, DC's come out with this superhero team. What do we have? And so Stan basically had this had this idea, but at the same time, he felt like he was very much being boxed in and wasn't being allowed to do it his way. And he had actually gone home and said to his wife, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. Because Stan actually wanted... His, his actual ambition was to be a novel writer. Hence his name, Stan Lee. His birth name is Stanley Martin Lieber. He didn't want to use that name for novels. He didn't want to waste his real name on, on I'm sorry, he didn't want to use his real, uh, he, he didn't want to use Stanley Lieber, Martin Lieber for comic books. He didn't yeah. want to waste his real name on comic books because novels is where he wanted to go. Yep. So what he did was he simply took his first name, cut it in half, and that's it. Stan Lee. <laughs> and there's been thousands of jokes in like movies, comics, and stuff. And they're like, have you, have you met Stan Lee? And they're like, Stan Lee who? Like, Stan Lee. Like, that's his name. Exactly. Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's, it's, you consider that that ended up becoming his legal name. That ended up becoming his legal name. So, so again, he went back home, told his wife, "That's it. I'm done. I'm I I I can't do this anymore." And his wife's Joni said, "Stan, okay, if you're gonna quit, I support you, but I will only do it under one condition, and that is that you write one book, your way, your story, your characters, the way you want it done. That way." you can walk away saying, I've tried doing it my way. So what did he do? He wrote this story about this family, this, this group of people who went through this adversity. They, you know, they had bills to pay. They had problems to deal with, just like everyone else. Yeah. And then here it is. They ended up, ended up with these superpowers. And how are they going to deal with these superpowers? That's not what they planned on doing. The end result was the Fantastic Four were born. And what was funny was his editor, his, or not editor, his, 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 the, the publisher basically said, okay, fine, let's, let's, let's put this out. And, you know, wasn't real positive on it. And then sure enough, here it was. This book came out and the fans just went nuts because it was unlike anything anyone had mm -hmm. read up to that point. And that was the Stan Lee way of doing, telling stories that now was born. You know, whether it was the Fantastic Four or whether it was Spider-Man or whoever it may be. And believe me, there's all kinds of stories with Spider-Man. And again, we could sit there and spend hours and hours and hours talking about just Stan Lee. Yep. Uh, but, you know, it's just it, being around him was, was an experience I can I can probably say few have had the opportunity to do the way we did. Um, uh, you know, there were times where it, it got crazy and frustrating because Stan, it also could be 
very stubborn in he wanted to do it a certain way, you know. Um, and you know what? Who are you to argue with him? <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. It's hard to argue yeah. with someone. And kind of our attitude like was, you know what? We'll figure out how to fix this later, <laughs> you know. But uh, but still, it just, the as far as his interactions with the fans, it was, like you said, the fans were coming to the show to see him. Yep. You know, and that was that was the, that was why these promoters were doing whatever it took to get Stan Lee to their show because he was unlike any other comic creator alive. He just he had that connection to his fans. Ultimately, there were two things that drove Stan: his wife Joni, and his love for the fans, mm-hmm. his love for the fans and the love he felt back from them more than anything else. Um, it's unfortunate that he lost his wife, July, 2017. And when that happened, it's like, okay, what's, what's going to happen? And we, mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately we hear all these, we hear these stories all the time of you have a couple that's been together so long yep. and after one part, one of them leaves, you know, what's going to happen to yeah. the other one. And you know, that was, that was, that weighed on Stan very heavily that weighed on him very heavily was, was the loss of Joni. Mm-hmm. So to a certain degree, that's why I think you saw his convention appearances pick up in 2017 Mm -hmm. um, was because he needed something to replace what was a big part of his love. And that was he needed those fans to keep him going. Unfortunately, his from his physical viewpoint, it was just very, very difficult for him to keep up doing. Um, And that gets into an area that is just, it's not, it's a awkward thing to talk about because that's, when my wife and I were outside of the Stanley camp and, uh, you know, things that went on, you know, it's, there's still a lot of, a lot of questions to be answered in reference to that. Yep. But, um, um, thanks for sharing that with yeah. us. Uh, that's, I think, um, it's, it's fun to point out if you take pound for pound, the, the heroes of DC versus the heroes of Marvel, you'll see a lot of the influence that Stanley had Almost all of those heroes, almost all of them were all human at one point or before they started and then became the superhero that they were. Uh, you know, you have uh, Spider-Man and all the Fantastic Four. All of them were just normal people like us before they got their powers. But then when you look at DC, you have Kal-El and you have the Martian Manhunter and all these people who came from other places here. And I think that's what makes them a little bit harder to to you know, mesh with. Well, another real quick, another example, yeah. just to sorry to sure. cut you off, oh, no but worries. here it is. We have this new movie called what Captain Marvel. Yeah. And what is it about? It's about a human being who is imbued with superpowers as a result of interactions with a extraterrestrial force becoming a superhero. So yeah. you're right on point yep. there is that, yeah, here it is. A movie that illustrates that more than anything else right now is out that exactly that. She started off as a human being. You know, she is a human being at her core. So with no no superpowers to start with. We'll try not to spoil too much of Captain Marvel, but I think one of my favorite parts of it was for half the movie, her being referred to as Veers. And then you find out why her name was Veers for half the movie. 
And it was because her dog tag was blown off and <laughs> broken in two. And the Veers was the last half of her name, Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I really like how they did that. Yeah, and I that was, was like, that was clever. I, as soon as they said Veers, I was like, ah, I know where they're doing this. I know exactly where they're going with this. I just, I loved it. Marvel's done a wonderful, I should say Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios and, and Kevin have done a wonderful job of taking the Marvel comic universe and translating it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And needless to say, we've just seen, while we've seen a lot take place, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg (laughs) as far as I think any of us are concerned is that, you know, they just got through, you know, with, with this, with Endgame coming up, that brings to conclusion what is basically 10 years of movie making. And you know what? I'm looking forward to what's going to be coming coming out after this because there there's so much in the marvel universe that has been untouched up to this point and we actually had a question ready for that just just in case so at the end of endgame when they're doing their post their 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 marvelous post-credit scene who would you like to see uh not maybe like announced or as another lead-in to the next the next movies and i say movies because there's going to be thousands of them A, a character that we haven't seen yet on the big screen you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I really, I can't even come up with a single one. I can, I can come up with, with give you an example. What I, what I can see that would be coming out, maybe Secret Wars. I think Secret Wars would be, you know, the, would, the would, new one with uh, the dimensions collapsing, or the old one with the Beyonder. Either one. Yeah, me too. I mean, I mean <laughs> you know, either one. I mean, the fact is that when, when you consider that back when. A lot of these stories were originally written. Movies didn't have the capability of, of of recreating them. Now, at least in the last ten years, you look at how stuff is written, and you know, I would think that maybe there's a little bit of, hey, how would this translate into TV, or how would this translate into a movie going through a writer's mind? So, it's, it's... so to answer your question, I I really can't say one particular character. But I think it's going to be interesting that um, a bunch of the characters you're going to see, I, I, I will say this, I think that you're going to see a, one particular creator. You're going to see a lot of stuff coming from him. And it starts with this movie that's out right now, and that is Captain Marvel. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff coming out of Roy Thomas's hand, what came out of his head. And that was a question I, that I was kind of curious about is 20 years from now, is there going to be anybody celebrated in 20 years that is anywhere like Stan Lee now? Like somebody that's kind of the poster no. child of comics, no? First off, there will never, ever be another Stan Lee. Yep. Um, Roy, Roy was the editor-in-chief that took over for Stan when he stepped from down from that position. Um, and while Roy is a phenomenal creator, still there's, there's, there's no way that you're going to have anyone that will even come close to Stan in how he did things. Um, just his, again, you look at what he brought to the comic book industry in how he told stories, how he humanized everyone, um, and and how he did the things that he did with characters. 
uh, you were asking about a favorite moment with Stan. Mm-hmm. Here's here's one for you. Um, now, bear in mind, this story has been confirmed to me by both Lynn Ween and Jerry Conway. And this is the creation of the name for the character Punisher. So they have this character that they know they're going to introduce into the Spider-Man universe. And they're trying to come up with this name. You have Lynn and Jerry working together. Jerry was the writer on the book. Lynn was the editor on the book. They're trying to come up with this idea of this of what they will name this character. And they're going back and forth. And they're going, well, we can call him the Hitman. Uh, we can call him the Assassin. They're coming up with all these different names. And they just, none of them really, really had that ring to it. So they finally go walking into Stan's office. And he's like, what's up, boys? And they're like, well, Stan, you know, we have this new character. And we just can't. We can't come up with a good name for him. Well, what did it? What does he do? Well, he basically is an FBI agent who, you know, who ends up uh, having his family killed by the mob, and so he turns to basically um, taking out and punishing the mob members. Stan says, "Well, that's simple. We'll call him the Punisher." <laughs> and both Jerry and Lynn looked at each other, and I don't know if you remember the what you call the V eight moment. <laughs> wow it was that simple for Stan that simple to sit there and come up with something where he would simply take what the character did and come up with a name that just had that kind of impact to it and boom the Punisher was born yeah can you imagine if it was uh, the Hitman, the Hitman. series or <laughs> It just doesn't have the same ring to it, I don't think. And besides, oh. Hitman's a, a video game anyways. That's actually pretty decent. So um, <clears throat> we know you're into to comics, obviously. Um, and there's a couple of... I, I know there's going to be a few people who are curious as those who own comics, if they think they have a good one, what's the grading process? Because we, we know that you, a big part of what you do, and you might want to just describe that... Um, what grading is and how it's kind of changed collecting. Cause it, I mean, that wasn't a thing when I was a kid and I had, I kept seeing them. I didn't know what was going on with them. So, well, basically to a certain degree, the grading process came about as a result of, you would have these retailers that would have books and everyone had their opinion. But the problem was, is that everyone had their opinion, but that opinion was jaded as a result of, how they were connected to the book. And what I mean by that is this. If you walked in and you had a book that you wanted to sell and you're trying to sell it to a retailer, needless to say, the retailer is going to want to pay as little as he can for that book. Sure. So what is he going to do is he's going to say, well, you know, here's the book. Here, here are the problems I see is you have this and you have this, whether it's uh, you have you, you have tanning of the pages, you have some you have some creasing of the pages, you have some, uh, fl- you know, just mm-hmm. they, they come up with all these different faults. OK, now what happens is now they take that book, they pay that customer, that customer walks away. And they take that book and they turn around and they put it up on their shelf for sale. And where they bought the book based upon the Overstreet grading guide, they bought the book saying, telling the customer they, they bought it from, well, this is maybe a 5.0. And suddenly they put it up on the shelf and they put it up as a 7.0. And they put up as, here's the price point for this. 
So where they, I, and don't get me wrong, I understand from a retailer viewpoint that mm-hmm. you you have to make money. I yes. get that. But again, this is part of what brought about the whole grading process is the fact that, uh, or I should say the CGC, the CGC process yep. was the fact that you had to have someone who was third party. They had no connection. Mm-hmm. They had no financial connection to that book. They weren't buying the book from someone to sell the book to someone like a retailer was. So they needed to provide a service that people could turn to that would give that third party non-connected opinion of what that book was worth. Not so much worth, but what the condition Mm -hmm. of that book was. The open market, the free market, is what was going to determine the worth of that book. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you would have a third-party group of people that would, in in the case of CGC, it would be graded by three different graders. The book would be put in front of them. Now, bear in mind, the graders would not, all they would know is the title of the book and obviously that information. They don't know who the book belongs to. So the customer information was never put in front of the grader. So again, it reduces any chance of there being, you know, any um, favoritism, as I would say. Like if I turned in a book to get graded versus Nicolas Cage turning in a book to get graded, and they're like, oh, this is Nicolas Cage's book. We're just going to grade it a little higher. That's right. So what happens is they, they literally, the page of information that goes in front of the grader that goes with that book simply has an ID number on it. Does not have the customer. The customer name information is actually blocked out. You know that the where you have the block, the black writing and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's blocked out, so they can't see that. So what happens is you have the per, first person who will grade it, and based upon their experience as a grader, and they were taught using the Overstreet grading guide, that they would come up with determining what they felt that book was. So let's say hypothetically the book's put in front of them, and they go based upon what they see, they think that this book is a nine point two. Okay, that information goes into the computer system. The book then goes to the next grader. Now, he doesn't know what the first grader put. Sure. He now grades it based upon, again, his opinion or or her opinion as to what the condition of the book is and inputs it in the system. Let's say that that person says, I think it's a 9.4. So now it goes in this system. It goes on to the third grader. And the third grader goes through the exact same thing. Let's say the third grader comes back and says, I think it's a 9.4. Okay, now you have what's called the finalizer. The finalizer takes all, first off, the finalizer looks at the book, sees if there's anything that stands out that would go against any of those grades that were presented. Um, Or as an example, if, if a particular grader graded if one of the three graders grade it extremely low and it's like, why did this grader grade it extremely low? But the point is the finalizer would look at the book. They would then look at the three grades, make sure that they were in agreement with it. And as a result of the three grades, you basically have a nine, two, a nine, four, a nine, four. So the average of it would be classified as a nine, four, as we would call it, we call it a soft nine, four, because yeah one of the grades was actually lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, the grade would receive, uh, the book would receive a grade of 9.4. 
again, this is done completely third party where they have no connection. They're being, play, they're being paid a flat fee for their service of grading the book. They're not being paid based upon what the value of the book is. That is basically how the CGC grading process came about. So it provides a third party solution to grading books that now allows you as a customer, you as a collector, to buy something with the confidence knowing that this is not graded by this particular retailer over here. Exactly. And while he buys it at this price and he says it's a 5.0, but he's selling it as a 7.0, there's, there's a contradiction there. Mm -hmm. You know it's a CGC book and it has that CGC label in the CGC encasement. That book is this grade. And... To a certain degree, there were plenty of retailers that actually had resentment against that because, of course, in their opinion, they've been in the industry for X number of years, 20, 30 years, and they know best. There's always an expert, right? <laughs> exactly. So uh, that is basically how the CGC process came about and, and pretty much how it works. Once it goes through the grading process, it then goes into what's called encapsulation, which means it's put inside of a what's referred to as an inner well, which is a soft plastic inner well, which is hermetically sealed. Therefore, you don't have air getting inside of that. It's whatever is in that well at that time is permanently trapped in there. There is also a particular element that is put in, a particular type of paper that is put in to help absorb certain uh, things that are in, that would possibly mm -hmm. be in the air that would help reduce any oxidation of the book, which is what causes the yellowing of mm -hmm. the pages. So by it being encapsulated in this soft inner shell, and then it's put in, in the hard outer shell, which that provides the physical protection. So now you have a book that is sealed so that you minimize the amount of oxidation, which minimizes the aging process. And now you have it protected in the physical by having the outer shell. There you have what is the CGC book. Now, when you say they're looking at the book, they're looking through every single page. They're, they they know how many pages. They know exactly what is in that book. They're, they know how many pages are supposed to be in that book. They know what's supposed to be in that book so that they also know whether the book has been altered. They will then put it through a test so that they're looking for Basically, what is more common with the covers, maybe some form of restoration. Believe it or not, one, what was at one point when I, when I was first getting involved, what seemed to be one of the early um, restoration things done by people is the Spider-Man 36 Volume 2, which is the black cover, which is referred to as the World Trade Center cover. All black and periodically we would get these books coming into our office and what you'd see is you'd see this little tiny speck and what it was is it was someone who took a black sharpie and they basically were trying to cover up a flake that had come off the cover well unfortunately that's referred to as restoration mm -hmm. i don't care how you sugarcoat it you're altering the original condition of the book and that book was notorious for having people that would take a black Sharpie and they would just go in and they would just try to touch it up 
not realize, and we would get that and we would tell the customer, you realize you have restoration on this book before we even sent it to CGC because we, we learned to recognize this. Yeah. But yeah, it, so CGC is looking for restoration. They're looking for whether it's, it's, you know, whether it's ink restoration, whether it's uh, tape restoration, anything like that. So they're doing a complete check of the book inside and out every single page. That's part of the grading process that it goes through. Um, and so again, they're doing the page count. Uh, remember the Marvel stamp? Mm-hmm. Making sure the Marvel stamp is in there because God knows how many times someone would sit there and send the book in and they wouldn't realize the Marvel stamp is missing. So now you have an incomplete book because you have a part of the book that's cut out and it's <laughs> incomplete because where that Marvel stamp was on the backside of that, on the, on the page behind it, was part of the story. So now you have part of the story that's disappeared <laughs> because someone cut out the Marvel stamp. That's part of the process that they would, you know, so now you have a book that is considered incomplete because you have something missing from the book. Yeah. yeah. So. So have you seen any tens come through your your shop right at all? Any what? Any tens? Yes. Any good tens? <laughs> well, when you say good tens. Like any ones that you liked where you're like, oh, this is my, like, I like this comic book and it's a 10. Wow. I, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Usually you won't see tens unless you're looking at books that have a more rigid cover. Um, you know, whether it's someone like IDW or whether it's someone like um, maybe even, uh, not even Image, but companies that will use a thicker stock, more of a card stock. Uh, at one point you did see Marvel come out with, uh, I've, I'm trying to remember, I think it was the Marvel Projects. That came that had that, that it was that Marvel Project sketch cover that had all those Marvel characters along the outside of the, the cover, and it was a white blank cover, um, and that was on a card stock. So something like that, there you stand a better chance of having a ten because yeah. it's a it's a stronger, more rigid cover. Unfortunately, both Marvel and DC for their normal normal books, they're using inexpensive. I'm going to use that term, inexpensive <laughs> paper to print on. Unfortunately, that inexpensive paper very easily could end up getting a little tag on it, mm-hmm. um, which was common. You'd have books, after they're printed, they go through the cutting process. So they're cut at the top, they're cut at, at the bottom, and they're cut on the side. Well, what ends up happening is you have a spine on the left side, and that blade comes down, and that blade will cut. But because you, that's where you have the one point where all the paper is touching together and that's where you'd end up having what's called a little spine tag. And that's, you know, depending on how severe it is, will, di- will dictate whether there is a deduction in grade or not. Another thing that's determined in grading is whether it's classified as a manufacturer defect. If it's classified by as a manufacturer defect, there's a likelihood that it will not count off on the grade unless it's something pretty severe. Um, but then again, you have, you have a situation where you have people that would try to alter things and now it's no longer a manufacturer defect because it's been altered. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you're listening and you have comics that you want to alter, don't do that. Just leave them the way they are. (laughs) If, If you want them to maintain value, yes. Restoration was actually the hot thing to do back you know, when you're talking about the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, because at that time people wanted to make them look as nice as possible. You know, you, you had a book that 
came out of someone's back pocket and you know and it, it has a crease right down the middle of it and you'd sit there and you'd touch it up so that it you don't you don't see that crease you know it presents very well oh it's, this is a pretty <laughs> cover look there's no you don't see any line creases on it at all but what you what you see is you see the paint that is used to fill in where mm-hmm. those creases mm-hmm. were at while that was popular back at that time again when you get into the concept of the original book now you're altering it just like you have with stamps just like you have with coins or or uh, currency dollar bills and stuff like that you know if there's any kind of alteration where they add to it that detracts on the value of the of the item yep um, I know you got uh, some sleep to catch up on, so we might we might be uh, having a, a shorter episode this time. But before we go, we have to ask our surprise question. And I think before we ask it, we have to at least give some, some backstory as to why we always ask this question. Um, we had an episode several episodes ago now on reboots and all of the movies that are being rebooted, all of them, Pet Cemetery and Highlander and all these other movies that are coming out. And we decided that we were going to choose a good person to fill the role of the new reboot if they hadn't been cast already. So say Pet Cemetery doesn't have a cast yet. Frankie will say, I think this person fits the bill to be this person. Well, Rich, I was kind of trolling. <laughs> I don't know if you were. I, I still think you, you believe it. Rich He's thinks, an amazing actor. <laughs> Rich thinks Paul Rudd could fill just about every single role that was ever announced for every movie. So we were wondering, what's your thoughts on Paul Rudd? <laughs> You're talking about the actor who plays an Ant-Man. That's yep. correct. <laughs> Most serious question all night. I, 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 I honestly can't really say anything. I mean, other than seeing him in Ant-Man, it's not something that I've really followed his career to, to, to see what all he's done. So I can't really give you what I would call an educated <laughs> you know, opinion on that. Um, you know, it's what it comes down to is you have actors out there that are some actors unfortunately get pigeonholed as a particular character and they find it very difficult to, to break that. Um, you have other actors that they're phenomenal character actors and they're able to play all these different characters. You know, you have some guys that while they're known for certain characters, and let's talk about Hugh Jackman. People are like, they. I don't think people at certain times can imagine Hugh as anything other than Wolverine. But then you look at Hugh, Hugh's a phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. stage performer. Oh, yeah. And that at the same time, he had that movie, uh, was it the, the... Greatest Showman or... Greatest Showman in the yeah. world, yeah. And, you know, so you take someone like that and while people at first thought, oh my God, this guy, all he's ever going to be able to do is, is Wolverine. no. He he has been able to break that mold. Yeah, I think he, he's just... he's hinting that he might do something in the MCU. Uh, I imagine some sort of kind of side character like um, who who is the uh, who's the actor in Thor Ragnarok? The collect uh, not not the collector. Oh, Korg. Are you talking about the rock monster? No, 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 no. no. Uh, the actor who plays Ian Malcolm um, from the Fly from Jurassic oh, Park. Uh, uh, um... Jeff Goldblum. Je- yeah, right? Like, if if Hugh Jackman... Hugh Jackman's not going to be... I wouldn't think he's going to be Wolverine in the MCU if he does something. I imagine they're going to give him a side character. I can't imagine them giving him a, a permanent, you know, a mainstream character. Who would you think he could play other well, than Wolverine? First off, here's part of the problem. 
now that you have Disney yeah. purchasing Fox, you now have Disney taking back the Fantastic Four mm-hmm, universe. Mm-hmm. You have Disney taking back the X-Men universe. And mark my words, you will see those universes all merging together at some point. Mm-hmm. Which we want. A lot you of know, us want that. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the day when we see Spider-Man and Human Torch having fun <laughs> with each other. Because how oh, many yeah. times have they done that in the comic books? You know, those were some of the some of the best stories was those two guys going after the same freaking girl. Yep. Uh, you know, needless to say, you have Hugh Jackman and you have Ryan Reynolds who are sitting there and they're teasing the daylights out of everyone. <laughs> Ryan's sitting there poking Hugh, going, Come on, man, you gotta do you gotta come bring Wolverine over to play with, with, with Deadpool. Um, so with that being said, I I don't know if you really can see too many actors who have a a very significant role moving into another character. I mean, you, you have that kind of happen with Chris Evans where he played the Human Torch in the yeah. first Fantastic Four round of movies. And then what does he do? He gets cast as Captain America. Do I see him going and playing anything else? No. No, I don't. No. Because I, I think the fans would have a hard time accepting that because of the way the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been built. And... I don't think that you will see Kevin or anyone in the Marvel Studios making that kind of mistake. I would be really I, shocked. I did notice one discrepancy, but I don't know if it's necessarily a discrepancy or not because of how Captain Marvel's timing works out. Um, Chiwet- I don't even know if I'm going to say his name right. I always get his name wrong. I think it's Chiwetel Iwaforge or Iforge. I forget what his name is. But he was he was um, the asshole guy that was in Captain Marvel on the on the ship with uh, with Jude Law's character and oh uh, you're he, giving away you're giving away I know um, spoiler alert spoiler he was, alert yeah he was he was the jerk that okay. was on there but he was also in Guardians of the Galaxy and he was that same guy who went when he was like I'm Star Lord man he went who he was that same oh, guy wow. And I was like, I wonder if that's a connection there somewhere. Because, like I said, Captain Marvel, that whole movie takes place well before any of these other movies did. And that guy is, you know, he's a space ranger or whatever. You know, he, he, he's not from Earth. He can travel anywhere. But also consider, I mean, you're talking about a minor role. Yeah, but it's Marvel. Marvel likes to play with their minor roles a lot. He, yeah. he I, I'm curious if <laughs> they di- introduced he Ironheart in, in that uh, sequence. With Guardians of the Galaxy, he like shortly after gets his head cut off. I, I don't remember. I have to go back and watch Guardians of the Galaxy now. That's most of them, most of them die. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he, he he's like a pirate, Aaron. He, uh, just like you said, he goes who, and then shortly after the fight, he's dead. Yeah, because a bomb goes off. But then that's still that, there's still a minor connection. Maybe maybe not. But it's it's fun to think about like. In that case, if Hugh Jackman were someone like that, where he just has one line, and then you're just like, "Was that was that Hugh Jackman? Did we just see Wolverine, or what is that?" And I know, I feel like Marvel would do something like that just to play with people. The, I, I think it'd be very interesting if we see Secret Wars, which is the, the most new Secret Wars, which is the collapse of universes as a justification for um, X Men and. Well, yeah, it's, no, it's, no, they got to just throw away all of the Fantastic <laughs> Four stuff. But uh, 
to bring in another world that has Fantastic yeah. Four. Yes, it's yeah. this. It's just the easiest way for them to to fuse it because of that that idea. The universe is collapsing. It's where like just like the Spider Verse, these universes are just gonna have overflow of other people. It's a good introduction of Spider Gwen and other characters yeah, too. Yeah, yeah it, let, it mean, lets them basically it's reboot. Truthfully, truthfully, that's really how Spider Man and me met Miles and a bunch of other people because. They were all in different universes until recent comics where they were like, oh, yeah, now you're you're all in one. Just they're all going to live together. There's going to be a spider family. And welcome yeah. to the real world. <laughs> real world one Spider-Man and friends. <laughs> well, it's just like at the same time, you also look at situations where you have Wolverine and then you have his daughter. Yes. Yeah. You know, and. And uh, which, which one? It'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, you had his, you had the the character of his daughter X twenty three in, uh, uh, um, gosh, what was oh the, uh, the, the movie where he, everybody dies? Um, that's where he dies. Yeah, yeah. Logan, so uh, Logan, Logan, yeah, Logan. Yeah. And to me, it's kind of like okay. Well, what we see is we see X twenty three carrying the Wolverine mantle forward. Yeah. At that point, unless they want to do a story where they go back in time, because that's that's one thing that's also going to be interesting to keep an eye on Marvel is how they're gonna how they're gonna keep the timelines true. Yeah, if you're and DC, that's unfortunately, something that's notorious about comic books is you would see these timelines going all over the place. If you're DC, you just start over. You just <laughs> New Earth. You don't even one. care. You have simultaneous storylines, no rhyme or reason. They just do whatever they want. We just like to pick on DC. I love DC comics, but yeah, just, I, I like I, to pick I, on. I grew up Silver Age DC, so I, I love DC. But yeah. they just reboot universes far too often. <laughs> um. So the last question I have, and it's kind of off off topic here, but maybe not. Um, there is two characters, and one that is in Captain Marvel right now. So this is kind of a spoiler alert, but kind of a not because they never hinted at this at all. But um, what was her name? Uh, Ironheart. Yeah. Well, Captain Marvel's best friend. Yeah. Um, her daughter. Yeah. She's supposed to um, in comics pick up the the mantle of Captain Marvel later on. I am begging for them to do either her or Shuri from the Black Panther as the next Ironheart. And I don't know if you have any other ideas about who you think could be Ironheart. But Did you see uh, Captain Marvel? I have. Just, Did, but I, I also have to be honest. My wife and I, we had very little sleep. And I'll be <laughs> honest with you, I actually found myself dozing off. Not... not Saying the movie was bad or boring sure. or anything, not that at all. I was just freaking exhausted, <laughs> you know. So we, we kind of laughed. We said, okay, we're going to have to go back and see that one again because we both were kind of dozing on and off periodically. And it's like, uh, did you, did you, did, did we miss something? Yeah, I think we missed something. Well, okay, we're going to have to go back and see that again. So, yes, I did see it, but at the same time, I may not have caught certain things. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one the final thing I think all of us can agree on is we all want a flurkin for our own. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> we all want a flurkin for our own. The cat. The cat. Goose. <laughs> if we could find I, one. <laughs> I have a funny feeling it's going to be interesting what comes out of, excuse the expression, literally what comes out of the cat. Yeah. We've seen the, the, the test wreck come out. Now the question is, what else I did. I did do some research on Flurkins right after the movie was done, and found out that Flurkins themselves 
have a pocket dimension inside them so they can hold any number of things that they want. And so what does Goose have inside of him? That's yeah, the question. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's saying. <laughs> Super cool. I just, I love, I, I, everybody was saying, you know what? I do have another question I wanted to bring up before we end. Okay. There's, and then and give him a few minutes to kind of promote. Yeah. Because we yeah. didn't talk about his convention yeah. or anything. We'll yeah. To, yeah. Um, Cat, uh, uh, Nick Fury loses his eye in Captain Marvel. And again, another spoiler. But how did you feel about how it happened? Because there is there is a war going on right now in social media that half the people liked how it happened and half the people are saying this is a joke, right? This isn't actually how it happened. I just wanted to know your thoughts and if you, if you remember it all. Well, first off, again, I think part of the problem is you look at the continuity of the character of Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Fury actually goes back to when? Goes back to World War II. D- depending on, I mean, in the comics, this Captain America, I mean, this Nick Fury is the son of the Nick Fury who was in in World War. Uh, in one. comics or in the movie? In the comics. Okay. So um, the the Nick Fury uh, that we see in the movies is the current Nick, Nick Fury in the comic books, but he's the half-son of the, like... Have they actually explained that? Yeah, in uh, Death, uh, Death, of a, Death of a Watcher, or Original Sin, Original Sin, where the Watcher dies. No, no, no. In the MCU. Have they explained that in the, in the MCU? Oh, no, no, no. In the MCU, does it even talk about Nick Fury okay. being so back? That, but that's part of what I'm saying is that you, unfortunately, when you're talking about the cinematic universe, yeah. you're going to have a lot of creative liberties that are taken uh, for, number one, story storytelling purposes. And the fact is that you're able to uh, maybe right some wrongs, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Um, I know talking to Robert Kirkman, he says that's one of the things that he loves about being able to have The Walking Dead is that when he was writing The Walking Dead originally, uh, he realized that he ended up going down a particular path with the story arc and then later on ended up regretting going down that particular path and how he would love to have been able to go in a different direction. And you see that happening now in in the actual TV series because I mean you look at you look at basically certain characters getting killed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, part of it is certain characters you couldn't do certain things with characters in the movies that you were able to do in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence, Rick and his arm. I, I didn't follow the comic books. So. <laughs> well, I, I only hear rumors. In, in other words, there's only so much you can do with special effects. Sure, yeah. sure. Okay, yeah. and and so. Basically, they're what they're what they've been able to do continuity wise in the series and Robert's interactions of that. So, how he was able to correct things in the in the TV series that he was not able to correct in the comics. You have the same thing in the movies, you have these crea- uh, creative liberties that are being taken as a result of the screenwriters. They're going, Okay, well, we really don't want to. Even though this is the way it should go according to the comics, we don't want to do that because, number one, that could be opening a Pandora's box for something that is going to have to be dealt with and we really don't even want to mm-hmm. go into that direction. Yeah. Um, and number two, we, we have our own ideas of how we want this character to go. So in reference to Nick, the short of the answer to that is, do I like what they did? I really don't care, you know? <laughs> What it comes down to is if you have a cat that scratches his eye and that's how he loses his eye, so be it. That's that's what's going to happen. Ultimately, 
he is Nick Fury. <laughs> Ultimately, he's going to do what he's going to do in in the in the TV's. I'm sorry, in in the movie universe. Um, is it going to match what we've seen in the comics? No, absolutely yeah, not. No. I'm actually kind of glad it doesn't because again, that, that's the reason why there's there's certain things that happen in the comics that we can now explore the other outcome of things in the movies because they're going two different ways. I definitely think that if if Captain Marvel had taken place before Guardians of the Galaxy, he would not have lost his eye the way he did. Yeah. Right? This is just a reflection of the fact that now they try to introduce humor kind of throughout the, the more recent movies. And they make even more money than they ever did before. I don't mind how he lost his eye. Um, I liked it. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it was funny. I, I Yeah. I, I think that... I wish I had seen him taking some sort of painkiller or something because he did not react appropriately <laughs> to losing an eye. The one thing that, I think. that I, kept playing through that movie, too, that everybody was waiting for, and I, I don't know how many times you saw I saw it at least two or three times. But going through, and he was You've like, You've seen oh. the movie two or three times? No, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, like, wow. At least two or three times in the movie, um, Nick made a reference to like, oh, that hurt my eye or something. And you're like, is this it? Is this where it's going to happen? And oh, that's not where it happened. Yeah. Okay. He just kept, yeah, he was just playing with you the whole time. Like, oh, that hurt my eye a little bit. And you're like, is this it? No. Okay. And then it finally happened. That that was great. Um, I I think like anything else, you're going to have moments where the fans were expecting something bigger and grander. And Marvel, what they did was they had a little fun with it. They they made it something that was a surprise, you know, and you're, you're going to have that happen no matter what. Uh, and it's to a certain degree, is it the writer's way of going? Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. You weren't you weren't seen you didn't see that one coming, yeah. did you? But uh, you know, it still comes down to the fact that it you know he's he is the character he is. He's going to do uh, it. Obviously, well, as a result of what's happened in this movie, uh, is going to drive maybe the decisions that he has made, which will be interesting to see. At some point, do they go back and do they do movies that fills in from this point at the end of the Captain Marvel movie to what is uh, 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 Captain America waking up in that bed at the very end of the Captain America Mm -hmm. movie and where am I? What time is this? What, in other words, what year is this? There's all that to fill in. Yeah. How are they going to fill that in? And ultimately, I think it will be filled in. It's just a matter of how they're going to do it. Yeah. There was a uh, really good article someone put out the other day of the minor history of the Tesseract, because that was also a major part in in how many times it switched places and hands and everything. So I thought that was really fun to add into this because of that's the time period. It starts... The Tesseract starts, didn't start here, started well in Captain America, but then the next movie to pick it up was this one in chronological order. Sure, sure. And then it just, it was, it was fun. I liked how they, how they threw that little bit in there. So we like to end the, the interviews with just letting you kind of like tell people about what you're doing. I know you're traveling to a lot of different conventions. I know you have your own convention. Uh, you want to just kind of kind of give people a summary and, and we'll kind of put well, some stuff in the show notes. First off, in reference to our own convention, uh, Great American Comic Con, uh, our first year was 2015. Um, and what it comes down to is I, I, I want to put on a good old-fashioned comic book convention. You know, I, I've been in the convention industry since basically professionally since 2008. 
And um, I've seen how shows have changed. Um, shows that started out as regular comic book conventions and ultimately they end up introducing the media guests and that's thing you know the media guests keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger um one of the things and i i hope i i hope this is part of me staying true to my character and my myself uh is that i want to keep it as a comic book show if we were to have a comic if we were to have a media guest They've absolutely, one of my rules, they absolutely have to have a connection to the comic book industry because otherwise I don't want them there, especially if they're charging for their signature. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise they're sucking money off the floor and that money should be spent on who? Should be spent on the comic book guests and on the retailers or the exhibitors who are there that are paying money to be there. Yep. So, uh, but we had our first show in 2015. We had our second show in 2016. We did not have one in 17 because we had to change venues. Uh, we had our last show last year, and we're scheduled for 2019, which is going to be November 16th and 17th uh, at the Cashman Center, Southeast Hall. Re repeat, Southeast Hall off <laughs> of Swenson. <laughs> yeah, usually if you're, if you're from Vegas and you've been to a Cashman Center convention, you'll know most of the time it's one hall. Did I say Cashman? It yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant the Las Vegas Convention Center. Oh, there you go. Okay. I made that mistake. Las yeah. Vegas Convention is Southeast Hall right off of Swenson. So. Yes. And that is the convention like, Yeah, this convention center that's right to, next to or attached to um, the Westgate. Yes. That yeah. is the main convention center in Las Vegas. Unfortunately, it's sad that the Cashman facility got taken over by the city and got mothballed. Basically, they shut it down at the end of 2017, and uh, what they did was they basically, their plan, their original plan was to sell the property to the Raiders so that the Raiders could build their stadium there, and Raiders like, nope, we've got our stadium where, we know exactly where we would put our stadium. My understanding is now you, apparently the baseball field is being used, uh, has been repurposed as a soccer field. And is being used for a minor league soccer team. The convention facilities basically are empty and you know aren't hmm. being used at all. Uh, the baseball team obviously moved to the new stadium in Summerlin, yep. and that's, uh, that's unfortunate because some of my favorite convention memories are having a comic convention right next to the gun show. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Know having, exactly what you're talking having about. Having costumed characters come out wielding a real gun, and you're like, "Well, this has been a strange turn of events." When I was growing up, the state fair was was held there, so I have fond <laughs> memories of getting free passes from our in school. Yeah, yeah. As far as what we have coming up, um, basically, we are gonna we're gonna be at Emerald City this weekend. We're gonna be at C2E2 the weekend after that. We're gonna be at uh, where is it? WonderCon the weekend after that. Um, for those that are interested, check our website. We have our shows listed as to where we're going to be. If you want to submit books to get signed and graded at those events, that's what we're here for. And I think it might have been a minor failure on our part, but I don't think we even said the shop that he owns at all in this. Celestial <laughs> Comics. Celestial Comics is what you're looking for if you're looking for him in Vegas. Um, or if you're just looking for him online, too. Can I see the website? We'll put it in the show notes too, but some people listen to it on the cars. I didn't hear the oh, question. Oh, the, the website. You know, website is uh, www.celestial-comics.com. Um, that is the website for the store. As far as for our signing service, that is www.desertwindcomics.com. 
And um, that is where you would get the information for if you want to get your books signed and graded. You can drop off books at the store to get signed and graded, uh, but it is done through our signing company, which is Desert Wing Comics. Okay. Um, like I said, to kind of finish that off, we have the Great American Comic Con. Uh, I also have a management company that I manage comic creators like John Romita Jr., uh, I work with people like Chris Claremont and uh, basically it's about 30 to 35 different creators that I either manage or work with. And when I say manage, book them into shows and stuff like yeah. that. So that's pretty much it. And then of course, kind of, I, I, I will say this, uh, there's, we also have our, our, our own show called Geeked Out, All right. which is a show like what you gentlemen put on. And uh, so we, basically do what you guys do and that is talk about geeky stuff talk about fun stuff talk about comics and just you know have have fun conversations cool all right and the links to all those will be in the show notes so yeah i think uh i think that might be an end to i'm gonna say that's the end to the chandler rice interview part one because we definitely (laughs) we definitely want to have you back and have some more stories and oh we still have uh, some questions. We if didn't you ask, ask my so. wife, she'll tell you he can talk for hours. <laughs> and that's what the whole point of the show was. Yep. <laughs> Again, thanks for coming by, Chandler. And, Thank uh, you. Thank uh, you for having me. Make sure you check him out on everything he said. Definitely go look at his store. And we'll see you guys later. All right. Thank you. Bye, guys. Hey. Bye, guys. <laughs>